0: We're diving into a new series here called, what is it called? The Dragons Among Us. If you're like, wow, what are we talking about? Maybe you're like, cool, we're going to talk about Job and Behemoth and Leviathan and ancient dragon legends around the world. Well, that's cool stuff, and we'll do that some other time. Uh, My dad actually runs an organization called Alpha Omega and talks about like, you know, geology and evidence for the flood and all these kinds of things and, and, Dinosaurs and all kinds of things. We'll do that some other time. That'll be a lot of fun. But today, actually, um, I'm going to be a little less academic. We're going to talk about a kid's book, okay? <laughs> this is called There's No Such Thing as a Dragon. And, um... A while ago, we were having a staff development time, working through some conflict kind of uh, training and issues. And one of our pastors, John, uh, he showed us this video that was a lecture, a real old lecture from years and years ago um, by Dr. Jordan Peterson uh, on talking about... Uh, conflict and issues that uh, just tend to grow. And he read this little children's book on this lecture, and I thought, wow, that is such a compelling metaphor for so many things we tend to ignore in life. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to take a pause from our verse-to-verse series that we've been going through in the book of John. We've been at it for a long time. And we're going to take a pause for a few weeks, and we are going to talk about some very practical things in life that we need to deal with, but we tend to ignore. Things we tend to ignore in our lives and in our relationships and in our families. And what we're going to see is as we ignore these things, they tend not to go away, but they tend to grow. And so to help us see this, I wanted to read to you a little bit of... Billy Bixby's story here. There's no such thing as dragons. And here's how it goes. It says, Billy Bigsby was rather surprised when he woke up one morning and found a dragon in his room. It was a small dragon about the size of a kitten. That should have been his first warning, the kitten part. The dragon wagged its tail happily when Billy patted its head. Billy went downstairs to tell his mother, There's no such thing as a dragon, said Billy's mother, and she said it like she meant it. What are you talking about, Billy, right? And so Billy goes back to his room, and he begins to dress, and he just ignores the dragon that's sitting there trying to get his attention, because his mom told him there's no such thing as a dragon, right? So you you should just ignore <clears throat> the dragon, and he washes his face and hands, and he goes downstairs. And by this time the dragon starts growing, and the dragon is almost as big as a dog at this point. And so he goes downstairs and it says Billy sat at the table. The dragon sat down on the table. This sort of thing was not usually permitted, but there wasn't much Billy's mother could do about it. She had already said there was no such thing as a dragon. And if there's no such thing, you can't tell it to get down off the table. There's no such thing as a dragon. Now, as we start this series today, here's what I want to address. Some of you have some miniature little dragons in your life that you are ignoring, they're things you ignore, things you pretend don't exist. But these things actually have the potential of derailing your life, of causing you a lot of pain in life. And let me just say, life has enough pain that comes out of the blue, doesn't it? Life has enough heartache that just happens because we live in a fallen world that's full of sin. There's enough things that happen to you that if you could prevent some of the... Um, if, if you could prevent some of the preventable pain and heartache, that would be a good thing, wouldn't it? And I think that would actually be the heart of God for us in life. And if you were to recognize and deal with some of these dragons in your life before they grow, um, you could actually go on to save yourself a lot of heartache. The smartest guy who ever lived up until Jesus wrote a wise little saying or a proverb. Proverbs twenty-seven twelve. He said this, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. The prudent, those that are wise, those that have some understanding, those that can see a little ways down the road, they see the danger that exists right now, as small as it might look, and they have the ability to look down and go, whoa, I think I'm going to change my path. But the simple. And when it says simple, those without wisdom, those maybe just that haven't lived enough life yet, those that haven't been that far down the road, those that won't listen to the warnings of those that are wise in their lives, the simple, keep going, and they pay the penalty. They experience the pain and the heartache. And really, this is the idea, this little idea is at the heart of what I want to talk about today. So to frame the conversation, I want to go through an account of an event that is foundational to our faith, but not only to the Christian faith. This is an interesting thing about this event. We're going to see why this is so significant as we get towards the end of the talk today. This is also an event that is foundational to the other two major monotheistic religions in the world, to Islam and Judaism as well. So if you have your Bible, why don't you turn on over to John chapter 12. Excuse me. I said, John, didn't I? You're like, wait a minute. It's the dragon voice, I think. So, <laughs> All right. Um, actually, how, why don't you turn over to Genesis chapter 12? Go back a little ways to the left if you have your Bibles. Now, Genesis chapter 11 introduces us to a man named Abraham and his wife, Sarai. Now, Abraham's name is going to be changed to what? Abraham, a father of many nations, right? And, and Sarai is going to change to what? Sarah, yeah. And, and so God's going to change their name, which is a very significant thing, but that's not going to happen until like 25 years later in, in, in the account. But these are very significant people in history. In fact, so many people identify with Abraham as sort of one of their forefathers in faith. In fact, anybody remember the old VBS song? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons have Father Abraham. Sing it. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. Okay, we won't sing the rest of it. Although apparently you guys know it. That's great. So should have you come up and do the motions for everybody. So Abraham, and, and so I don't mix them up. I'm, I'm going to probably mix up Abraham and Abraham uh, today just to warn you. So And Sarai. So uh, they're the same people. Let me just say that, okay? But we're talking these guys lived 18 to 1,900 years before Jesus. It's a time in history where humanity had rebelled against the instructions of the one true God. This is following um, an event in history called the Tower of Babel, which was just a fist raised against the one true God. It was a time in history where humanity worshipped dark spiritual powers that were represented in the form of idols, It's a very dark time in history, and it was in this time in history where God decides to launch his rescue mission for the human race through the line of one man, and that man's Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says this The Lord had said to Abraham, The Lord appears to Abraham, and he says, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him. Now, Abraham is this This is an amazing scripture, right? Because as God uh, speaks to Abraham in a dramatic way, and and we don't know exactly what this looked like, but it was such a dramatic way that we're going to see he's willing to leave everything he held dear to follow this God. He's willing to walk away from it and follow this God. And this is such a, like, as God speaks these words to him, I don't think he understood any of this. Because in this time in history, there wasn't really a reference or a framework for the blessing of the nations. He's just hearing, I'm going to be blessed. And God goes, I've got a bigger plan for you. And I think Abraham says, that sounds great. I don't get it all. I don't know what this all means. But it sounds amazing, right? And he decides, I'm going to trust this God, who I don't even know his name yet. We don't discover, God doesn't reveal his name Y-H-W-H, uh, we think it's pronounced Yahweh or something like that, until Moses, right, at the burning bush, hundreds of years later. But God, God comes and he speaks to Abraham, and Abraham gives up his, his family support structure, which in this time in history, um, you know, you, some of you, you've moved here, you moved across the country for a new job, and you know you, you go see your parents a couple times a year at holidays, and that's normal. Not in this culture, not an ancient history. This is your complete support system. Your inheritance is passed down. Land is passed down from generation to generation. And God asked them to do something very scary. Walk away from it all and follow me where I'm going to show you. Where are we going? <laughs> just get on the road. Well, I'll show you along the way, right? In fact, walking away from your, your family isn't just your support structure. It's actually your whole faith system. Because in this time in history, um, idols or gods, deities were thought of as being regional. And so you'd have the god of this region kind of over here and the god of this region. And, and uh, God says, hey, I want you to follow me. And that meant walk away from the gods of your father, the idols that aren't really gods. And follow me, the one true God. So walk away from everything you know and hold dear. And I'm going to do amazing things. You're going to become a great nation. Now, the biggest faith step on this whole thing, Genesis chapter 11 tells us that Sarai can't have kids. She's barren. And so right away, there's a lot of tension in this story, and and this is a big faith step. As God says this to to Abraham, I want you to walk away. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Um, Oh, yeah, there's this one little problem, right? There's one issue here. But... I love it because Abraham. The reason why he's one of the reasons why he's such a profound uh, father of the faith. He trusts God, and he follows God. He sets off with his with high hopes and with dreams of the promised blessing. And along the way, um, he comes into the land of Canaan, and God appears to him this time. I mean, it's called the theophany. It's profound, and God appears to him, and He promises him the land that he's in, the land of Canaan, the promised land. That's where the phrase comes from, right? And I'm sure at this point, Abraham is totally overwhelmed and he's awestruck and he's full of like excitement. And then things get hard. Things get tough. Life takes a left turn. Verse 10 says this. Now there was a famine in the land and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. And actually in history, archaeologists and geologists have found evidence of a drought cycle that lasted 300 years around this time in history that Abraham lived. And see, in the midst of this, God had made this dramatic promise of everything I'm going to do for you. But then the food runs out and you got to feed your family, right? And so he's going, I wonder what to do. And he decides, I think we'll, we'll get out of here and go down to Egypt. This will be significant in history. See, but this, I think, is the way that following God so often is. And some of you have experienced this in life. That there's a moment where God speaks something so clearly to you. There's a moment when you, you know God leads you so clearly in a direction. We call, I call it a moment of clarity. It's like when you're climbing mountains. Anybody climbed a 14 or big, tall mountains in Colorado? And it's amazing. You get up to the top, and you can see everything all the way around, right? And then you drop back down into the valley, And a lot of times the valley, it's like Grand Junction with an inversion or a dust storm, you know, it's like hot and dry and the wind's blowing. And it's not so easy, is it? All of a sudden things aren't so clear. And I've just seen that as a pattern in people's lives that God calls you, you take a step of faith. And then it's like, where are you God? Things aren't going the way I thought they were gonna go. This isn't turning out, this isn't easy. I thought this was gonna be easy and it's not. And so he's trying to figure out what to do in this situation. And, and understand, this is a barbaric time of history. It's not, I mean, we can barely, we, we, try, we read some of these accounts and some of these stories from thousands of years ago, and we try to interpret them through our lens, and, which is a dangerous thing to do, because it's a totally different world, right? Totally different place. And he looks at his wife, Verse 11, and here's what it says. As he was about to enter Egypt, remember, God had made these promises. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those, and I'll make you into a great nation. I'm going to protect you. Abraham's like, I'm on board. Let's go. And then things get rough, and then he uh, goes, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but we'll let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for, this, for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Now that's just weird, isn't it? I mean, maybe there's some historical thing. We, some scholars think we don't quite understand. There's something that's lost in history, you know, a custom or something. Um, but I don't care who you are. That's weird and a little creepy. <laughs> And not really flattering for Sarah, is it? Come on. He's like, hey, just um, say you're my sister. So, you know, this will make life go a little well for me. He he, he thinks, okay, God's going to protect me and bless me. And I'm going to take matters into my own hands and figure out how that works. And so he does. And here's what you, you begin to see when we're talking about dragons and things in life that we tend to ignore, things in life that tend to start out small and then grow to become big problems. We see a tendency immediately in the life of Abraham that in a hard time, Abraham takes the path of least resistance. That he looks at the situation and he says, I think I, I want to take the easy route. What is the easiest route in here? Well, I'm not willing to have this hard conversation that may end up turning around and, you know, having me lose my life. And so, uh, Sarah, just say you're my sister. This will be easier for all of us, right? And something I've noticed about human, us human beings is that in stressful times, we tend to make poor decisions. Have you noticed that? And when we're afraid, we tend to make poor decisions, And when we make poor decisions, we tend to minimize or deny that there's actually any problem. Right? It's like the little dragon, isn't it? It's like Billy's mom. There's no such thing as dragons. And Billy walks down, hey, there's a dragon. She's like, no, there's no such thing as a dragon. And in the the meantime, the dragon keeps growing and growing. This is like my life where the outdoor cat got allowed into the house for 1 hour, just 1 hour. He needs to warm up a little bit. It's cold out there. And now he's on my bed every single morning waking me up. Sorry, I'm just sharing some airing dirty laundry from my family so. <laughs> but this works itself out in our way in our lives in so many different ways, right? Maybe it's the conflicts you keep avoiding having with your kids or with your spouse. And it's like, uh, you just, you're just you not a conflict person. You don't like conflict. And so you just like kick the can down the road. Or maybe you turn on the game. You, you check out. You're like, I'll, I'll just have another couple beers tonight and just kind of tune out. In the meantime, that problem, that root issue over here just grows, doesn't it? It doesn't go away. You think it is, but it's not. Or that just that stress of life and, and you feel like, hey, hey, it's easier to get something to treat myself because I just had a hard day, right? And so, you, you, you know, things are a little tight, but you just throw it on the credit card and you're like, I deserve it. It's my guilty pleasure, I, which I think is so weird. Have you noticed like in restaurants you go to um, how we advertise desserts? Guilty pleasures, desserts, right? It's like sinful, decadent, Jezebel chocolate cake. <laughs> and you're like, hmm, I think I'll have some of that, right? It's like, what are we really talking about a dessert here? What's, what's going on, right? But it's like, it's just a guilty pleasure, it's just one. It's just a pair of blue jeans and kick the can down the road, there's no problem. Or for singles, A, it's easier to, to swipe right on the app than to wait for the one that actually God is bringing. It's easier to allow your standards to be molded to society than to allow your standards to be based around the boundaries that God gives in Scripture for relationships and sexuality. It's easier. And it's like, yeah, it's not really a problem. It's not really an issue. You ignore the issue. You minimize it. And see, for Abraham, this doesn't end up going real well. So what happens is Pharaoh ends up like, they say, hey, did you meet Abraham? And he's got this sister and she's, she's pretty cute. And so, um, so Abraham, uh, Pharaoh takes her into his harem. And now <laughs> Abraham's got this giant mess on his hands. And see, in ancient cultures, adultery, in all kinds of ancient cultures, adultery is referred to as the great sin, is considered extremely detrimental to society. Like the thing that breaks apart the fabric of society. And Pharaoh ends up, because God actually reveals this, because a whole bunch of his family ends up, God ends up punishing them before he ruins everything. And a whole bunch of his family starts getting diseases plagues, essentially. And they understood this was a spiritual cause behind it. And God actually steps in, and Pharaoh finds out about the deception, and he gets really, really angry. And at this point in the story, what should have happened is Abraham off with his head, right? But God is faithful to his promise. And Abraham gets away with it. God allows Pharaoh just to get angry and send him off. And Abraham, in the meanwhile, has allowed this this little dragon of deceit and this little dragon of taking the easy route to enter into his life and to influence his wife. And there's this thing that's sitting over here in in the corner, and he gets away with it, it seems like. And he doesn't deal with it. Actually, it's crazy because later on down the road, you'd think he'd like, whew, escaped that one with my neck. He does it again. A few chapters down with with another ruler named Abimelech. He does it again. Now, God is blessing Abraham. God is keeping his promise. And Abraham goes on over the next few years. And he begins to be very, very successful and very wealthy. And his herds and all the people in his household, the servants and all these different members of his household, not his son, not his kids, but all these others begin to grow. And he's actually like got—he's like a little roving village that's moving around in the desert full of tents and flocks and herds. He's doing pretty well. He's like rolling up in the Bedouin Escalade, you know what I mean? I mean, the dude's just like, I've got it going on. He's very successful. And it says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a a vision. And God's going to talk to him. But the problem is he's very successful. But there's one little problem. There's still no kid. Like the whole great nation thing. (laughs) This is a problem. There's still no kid. And so God appears to him again a a while later. And it says, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, this this is his servant, right? His chief servant. He's like, I'm just going to have to pass everything on to my chief servant here. And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so his servant in my household will be an heir. See, in spite of the blessing, there's one thing missing. There's one thing. And see, it's easy to look through at the, at the, to hear the promise of God and then to experience the hardship that we're currently experiencing in life and conclude God's not going to do the thing that he promised. That because of circumstances right now, I'm not seeing what I think I should be seeing in my life. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe he's not active. Maybe he's not there at all. Abraham looks at his circumstance and goes, God, where are you in this, Right? I trust you, but where are you in all this? It says, the Lord, word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Don't worry, Abraham, I got this under control. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Anybody gone out on the Mesa on a summer night and looked at the stars and tried to count them. And that's what God does. He's like, Look at this. This is this is like the extent of this promise. It's going to be amazing. And I love it. Verse 6 says, And Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And this is so significant. This verse is quoted in the New Testament as an example of faith and justification by faith. You see? Because the deal is, Abraham didn't have all his stuff together, right? He, he wasn't perfect. This is before God even gave them the law at Sinai, and he knew all the things, right? But he believed. He trusted the word of God. He trusted in God, in the one true God. And it says, it was credited to him as righteousness. That this was the thing. This is why he's a hero of the faith. Not because he was a perfect person. No, he wasn't. In fact, go through, read through the Bible. You won't find any perfect people. You'll find a lot of really messed up people that God chooses to use anyway. A lot of messed up people that stumble and they fall, but at key moments, they trust in God. Now, more time goes by. Been about 10 years now since God promised the whole great nation thing. But it ain't happening. Ain't no nation coming. About this time, chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. Now, again, that's just weird, isn't it? I mean, like, creepy. We're like, whoa, wait a minute here. And again, you remember, we, we have to be careful about interpreting modern texts through, or ancient texts through modern sensibilities, right? Because this was actually a culturally acceptable practice at the time. I mean, I know the fact that she just has a slave girl, you're like, throwing you for a loop, right? And then the fact that she's like, here, you know, give me kids through, they're going to be my kids, but she can have them, Right? We'll just take them. <laughs> Messed up. This is actually a, a cultural, a practice in the culture. This isn't that strange in the culture. And you see, I think here's what Abraham and Sarah are thinking. Well, God promised a biological son. I mean, he promised a great nation. And I figured, well, maybe that's my servant. And then he said, no, I'm going to be faithful. You're going to have a child. So biological son. And so this, he's not, not happening with Sarah. So this seems like the, the logical route, right? This is the easy route. This seems like, yes, this is how we can get this thing done. No indication that they paused and prayed about it and sought God and asked, is this the wise thing? Any of that, right? It's like, yeah, that's logical. That's expedient. That should work. And see, what what I think Abraham had done is all the way back in Egypt years ago, he had set an example. He'd allowed a little dragon to enter. And his wife picks up on it. He set an example for his wife, right? Right. That when the going gets rough, we take the easy route. We're gonna gonna like figure out how to do this on our own. And so, in verse 3, so after Abraham had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai his wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Nobody could have seen that coming. <laughs> See Abraham's tendency to take the easy route is coming back to bite him. And all of a sudden he experiences all this conflict in his home. There's all this stuff going on, right? And Billy's story says that Billy uh, then he he sat down at the table and you know the dragon got to sit on the table and mom's denying it, right? And then mom's making him some pancakes. And the dragon's eating the pancakes. And the mothers just made him some more, and then the dragon ate that too. And mother kept on making the pancakes until she ran out of better, batter. But Billy only got one of them. But he said, listen to this. But he said that was all he really wanted anyway. That's okay. It's all right. That's all I really wanted anyway, was one. This conflict, it's okay. It's not that big a deal. And see, just like Abraham, the conflict in the family has eaten his lunch now, right? Just like the dragon is eating Billy's breakfast. And little dragons grow into bigger dragons. And let me just say, in life, before you know it, you can talk yourselves into all kinds of things that have the potential of leading to great pain and heartache in life. And you say, you know what? Um, I know I should spend more time with my kids, invest more in it, but I'll do it later. There's more time. It'll happen. Talk yourself into that, right? One of our pastors had an example of, for graduation, they had the youth dads write out a letter to the kids, and and they're all so proud of their graduating kids, but the common thread is, I can't believe it's here already. That's the truth. If you're a parent, you know that, right? I don't know if you have, like, littles. You're like, are they ever going to stop Get out of diapers, right, and sleep through the night. I remembered that. I won't tell you my story. It wouldn't be encouraging for you right now, but (laughs) (laughs) yes, they will. Trust me, they will at some point. They'll sleep through the night. Or you can talk yourself into that office flirtation, right? "Eh, It's innocent, or he's a good friend, or I just need someone to confide in. Before you know it, that's leading your way down to great pain in life. Let me just talk to the younger people in the room. Like if you're in your um, you know, early 20s or teens, it, uh, sociologists call you Gen Z. And, and here's the trend that we're seeing in Gen Z is, is more than any other generation in research, recent history, you're getting, waiting longer to get married, to actually settle down, to pick a path in life. And for so many young ladies, it's kind of the idea that society is presenting that, hey, um, you need to be a complete version of yourself. And you need to have a full career and all these things going on before you commit to a person or before you commit to a path in life. It's why you want to keep all your options open rather than commit to something, right? It's why you sometimes aren't willing, um, let me just press on you for a minute, sometimes aren't willing to commit to a dinner party till the very last minute because there may be a better offer come along, right? And let me just say, many people fear, and and I I agree, that this is not the path that will lead to the greatest happiness. That actually a lot of people are, 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 that this could lead to waking up down the road and figuring out I missed a lot of time that I regret now. because of of this thing. And let me just say for guys, what this requires is um, you can't be Peter Pan. You got to actually grow up. You got to take on some responsibility. You got to leave the basement and put down the joystick. Like commit to a good woman. Because it takes both, right? So if you're young in the room, let me just say, I think... The path that leads to the greatest joy and fulfillment in life is not the path that society is currently saying you should focus on. You know, something I find interesting about this whole situation is Abraham is not actually reprimanded in Scripture for this. See, God had not revealed all the law and all this. and In fact, this is actually a fairly culturally acceptable thing in the time, right? But it is, I think, the path of least resistance, Because we don't see him or Sarai seek God. And this brings up a really good point in life for us. And that sometimes we, we ask the question, well, is this right or is this wrong? Is this like a sin thing? And we're like, I don't know. I don't know if this is really wrong. But sometimes a better question to ask in life is, is this wise? Is this the wise thing to do? Sometimes that's the best question you can ask in life. Instead of just asking, is it right or wrong? And there's a lot of gray and you're like, I can talk myself into this. When you ask, is this the wise thing for me? Um, it becomes clearer oftentimes, right? Is this opportunity, man, it seems like a great job opportunity, but is it right in the place that I am? Is it wise in the place that I am with my family right now? I know it's going to pull me away and I'm going to be on the road a lot more and it's already been stressful and it's already been rough. Is it wise right now? I mean, I can say, yeah, this looks like a great thing, but is it wise? Is it wise? Will it promote peace in the family? Or, hey, I know I just had a nasty breakup and I'm in a kind of emotionally vulnerable state. Is it wise for me to dive into another relationship so soon? My heart says yes. My mama says no. Let me just tell you, the wise thing is to listen to your mama. Mama. (laughs) We're told in the Bible, the heart is deceitful beyond all things. You can talk yourself into all kinds of things. Well, it's not wrong, but it's not wise. And the wise thing is to listen to people who care about you, that have lived a little bit longer than you, that have an outside perspective, that can see the stuff coming down the road. Man, we've experienced this with family, friends, and heartache. And it's like, well, we called that one. They didn't listen. They didn't listen, right? What's the wise thing to do? See, wise people see the danger they're on and and they correct the course they're on. That's what that proverb said starting out, right? So in verse five, it says this, and Sarai said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. He's like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 right? I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. (laughs) see the dragon just grows doesn't it just like a Billy story like all of a sudden the dragon's bigger and the dragon like is filling up rooms and mom's trying to clean around the dragon and still ignoring the dragon but it's just like it's getting really hard to ignore this dragon and before you know it the dragon takes up the whole house and see this is the way that conflict and problems are (laughs) grows and grows let me just say, <laughs> you can feel the resentment seeping off this page, can't you? Off that scripture, <laughs> it's your fault. Let me just say, dudes, um, wisdom. There's sometimes your wife says it's fine. Pay attention to the tone in her voice, okay? Because it's not fine. Let me just tell you that, okay? Um, wisdom, gentlemen, you're like, oh great, <laughs> we'll see you after the you know the weekend trip. Uh, <laughs> it's not fine, okay? I'll, that's a freebie. That could be worth the price of admission, guys. So, verse fifteen. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abraham was eighty-six years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Problem solved, kid here. Lots of extra conflict, but well, we'll, we'll just kind of try to ignore that conflict. Keep moving on. Now, listen to this, because years go by. Years go by. Ishmael's approaching teen years. It's been 25 years after God first spoke the promise to Abraham, you will be a great nation. Through you, all nations on the earth will be blessed. And God Speaks again to Abraham, and actually, it's at this point where there's really this whole covenant ceremony, and it's this beautiful um, picture of the covenant, and similar to the covenant that God gives on Mount Sinai, a covenant of relationship. And then God tells him, "Hey, guess what? Sarah's going to have a, a child. That's going to be your heir." And Abraham's like, "Really?" He's like, oh, I mean, Ishmael's a good kid. I love Ishmael. Why don't we just do go through Ishmael? I mean, Sarah's like ninety years old now. <laughs> and God says, no, actually, Abraham's, Bless Ishmael, bless Ishmael. God's going. I'm going to bless him. Don't worry. See the promise I gave to you. It's going to flow on to, through him. He's going to become a great nation. I'll bless him. I'll protect him. I'll take care of him as well. But this wasn't my plan. This was your plan. This was your deal. Verse 21, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Verse 1 of 21, a couple chapters go by. It says, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. Next year, he said, you're going to have a kid. (laughs) <laughs> they're like, how is this going to happen? The Lord was gracious to Sarah, he, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. And see, I think at this point, Abraham's thinking, whew, that worked out okay. All this conflict. Now I got these two kids, and this will go just fine. There's no dragon. The blessing, okay, God said the blessing going to come through Isaac, but Ishmael's okay too, and I'll get them both, and I think maybe for a while it seemed okay. But the dragon emerged. Verse eight, it says this, the child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. See, it's in this point in the in the story of the dragon here and Billy that the dragon sees a bread truck and takes off chasing it, carrying the house and everybody with it. And dad comes home, and I think this is a profound little truth. It says, When Mr. Bixby came home for lunch, the first thing he noticed was that the house was gone. Luckily, one of the neighbors was able to tell him which way it went. I think it's the next one. He comes home, and all there is is a little foundation. There's a foundation sitting there. And it's profound because the dragon grows and he grows. And before you know it, it's taking you for a ride. And it ends up destroying things. See, all of a sudden, those, those couple drinks to help with stress has grown into something that could destroy everything in life. What started as an escape on the internet because you're really mad at your wife now has you captured in a cycle of shame. The child you didn't have time for, you're now spending countless hours with at the counselor trying to fix a life that's completely gone off the rails. Verse 14 says this, Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. And he set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. And Abraham has to do something really hard because he chose to take the the easy path earlier in life. He chose to do the easy thing and now he has to do the really hard thing. And God comforts him actually and it's interesting in this situation because he says, I'll take care of Ishmael. But Abraham still has to let go. Can you imagine the pain? This is your child, and he has to let go. God is faithful to Abraham, to his promise to Abraham, and to his promise to Ishmael. But there's heartache, and there's pain. And I think it was preventable. I don't think it had to happen. You know what's interesting about this account is that three of the world's major religions say that this moment happened. And 4,000 years later, the hostility from this one family breaking up can still be seen around the world and around the Middle East as people who trace their heritage either back to Abraham and Isaac or Abraham and Ishmael still hate each other and battle it out. 4,000 years of hostility. And you know, our book ends with a happy ending because it's a kid's book, right? And the happy ending is they recognize the big dragon and pat it on the head, and then it shrinks. And and all of a sudden, they got a nice little kitten-sized dragon again, which is dangerous, I'm just telling you. But it doesn't always go that way in life, does it? When we ignore dragons, it's not always that easy. They don't just always go away. A lot of times they create lasting pain, lasting heartache. And I think the heart of God for you is that as you experience life, there will be trials, there will be tribulations. But the heart of God for you would be to live out the path of wisdom in your life, that you would see danger coming, that you would adjust your course, that you would deal with the dragon while it's small. Before it derails your life and causes pain and heartache that's preventable. See, I bet in your life, 10 years ago, there was, in some of your lives, there was a little dragon that you ignored. And you said, there's no such thing as a dragon. And you wish you could have gone back and dealt with that dragon and acknowledged it. See, the dragon is always smaller today than it's going to be tomorrow. Proverbs 27.12 says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Let me just ask you, what are you willfully trying not to see in your life right now? Is there something? Is there something you are ignoring? Is there something you're denying? Is there something you keep telling your... Your family is like, ah, it's not a big deal. It's nothing. What are you willfully trying not to see in your life right now? Let me just say, um, here's the beautiful thing about this story. In spite of Abraham's flaws, God is faithful to his promise. Like I said, both to Abraham and to Ishmael. You know what that is? That's grace. Grace. That's grace. God still establishes this covenant with Abraham that I'm through you, I'm going to bless others. And Abraham is a flawed individual, yet God still uses him in powerful and profound ways. And you know what? Today, God still uses flawed people, God still uses sinners. That's His grace in spite of Abraham's failures, God fulfills his good purposes. And 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ, a son of Abraham, would die and rise again to provide forgiveness of sins to all that trust in him. And 2,000 years later than that, we're sitting here gathered in the name of Jesus. For many of you, Your sins are covered. You've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, and you have eternal life in him. God is faithful to his promises. That's grace. It's grace. He's good. But Abraham still experienced the pain of the mess he created. And see, sometimes God's grace is that eases or takes away the consequences of unwise choices, but sometimes he gives us the grace to walk through those consequences and experience grace through them. But you know what you can always count on? Forgiveness, mercy, grace, and the offer of relationship with him, that he will never leave you or forsake you. Would you stand? I know a message like this is hard in some ways. And it's hard because some of you have things that 5, 10, 20 years ago you ignored. And you have a lot of regret and pain right now. And you know it. Others of you are walking through things and you're like, I don't feel like that's me at all. But life still turned out this way. My kids still turned out this way. The heart of grace is that God sees you where you are. That he can make beauty from ashes. That he loves you. That he cares about you. That he's with you. That every day his mercies are new. And so I want to encourage you. If you got a little dragon right now, would you commit this week to acknowledging that? And, and bringing that into the light and doing something with that and bringing some people into your struggle and, and helping you get on the path you need to go to, maybe book that counseling appointment you've been holding out on, you've been waiting on. Let me just pray for you. Father, I pray for those that are either in this place where they just, they're like, God, I just need your grace and I'm filled with regret, that you would meet them exactly where they're at by the power of your spirit. And Lord, for so many others that, uh, that may be in a circumstance right now where they're like, oh, yeah. Would you give them the strength and the courage to follow you and what you're calling them to do? Thank you that you promise to never leave us or forsake us. Thank you that life is available to us through trusting you. Thank you for the gospel. We love you.